Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected. To all who shall see these presents, greetings. On behalf of Marine Corps University, the Marine Corps University Foundation, and the Brute Krulak Center for Innovation and Future Warfare, welcome back to the Brutecast, our series designed to connect the world to the warfighter and PME with the best in innovative and creative thought. I'm your host, Major Nate Janikin, Operations Officer at the Krulak Center. Before we begin, please remember that all opinions expressed here are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Krulak Center, Marine Corps University, United States Marine Corps, or any other agency of the U.S. government. We will also be recording this webcast for the benefit of those in our community of interest who could not join us today, so we ask that you keep your own webcams off to help us stream smoothly. At the conclusion of our discussion, we will have a question and answer session, so if you have a question, just type it in the group chat and I'll go through them in the order received. Over two-thirds of the world is covered in water, with roughly 3% of that being fresh water and an even smaller 1% of that being potable, drinkable water. To make things worse, water is not fairly distributed. Some nations are naturally rich in water, while others are not. One of the basic needs for nearly every creature on Earth, hydrate or die, is real. Water instability creates a complex issue that complicates security and political matters. In the Euphrates Tigris Basin, the waters that flow into Iraq flow through other countries first, Turkey, Iran, and Syria. Their policies affect the water that flows into Iraq, and then Iraq in turn is affected by its own internal policies on water. Understanding the issues here can help provide context going forward in the region. So with us today, we have two guests, the authors of Strategic Water. Uh, Frederick Lawrence is a retired Marine Corps Colonel. He was a judge advocate and was the staff advocate for Operation Restore Hope in Somalia, then for General Zinni during the UN evacuation in 1995, before he retired in 1998. He taught political science at the National Defense University was a senior lecturer at Henry M. Jackson School of International Studies at the University of Washington. He retired a second time in 2022. He traveled regularly between Turkey, Syria, Iraq, and Jordan between 1997 and 2004, researching water and security issues in the Euphrates Tigris Basin. And Dr. Edward Erickson was a military professor, history professor here at Marine Corps University before retiring in 2017. He's a retired Army Lieutenant Colonel, having commissioned as a field artillery officer, but also qualified as a FAO in Turkey in Germany, Italy, and Turkey. He was the artillery battalion officer for 3rd Armored Division during Operation Desert Storm. He was a special assistant to the NATO force commander in Sarajevo in 95-96, as well as the political advisor to General Ordino during the invasion of Iraq in 2003. He has published 17 books, numerous articles, and is widely recognized as one of the foremost experts on Ottoman and Turkish military history. Gentlemen, thank you uh, for joining us here today. I know it's a, a big day for you, both of you, with the, the book being published and coming out. Uh, so thank you for joining us, and I will turn it over to both of you uh, for your opening comments. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here at the at the Krulak Center, uh, and thanks for the for the generous introduction. So what I'm going to do now is uh, talk about the how we got here, how Ed and I got here in this subject of water security and research and writing. Uh, then I'm going to turn it over to Ed to talk about some of the big picture strategic issues. And then I'll talk about the book and some of the specific observations and comments that we make in the book. So uh, Ed and I met in Sarajevo, I think in 1995, when we were both assigned to the implementation force, the NATO implementation force. And uh, since that time, we've become good friends and collaborators on a number of, of projects. Uh, we started, I think, in 1997, when uh, we were both on active duty and uh, I was able to uh, find a grant, happily an Air Force grant originally, that was able to fund some of our travel to the basin. And so, uh, first of all, I think it's fair to say that Ed and I both uh, 
look at this topic from a from a security perspective. There's many lenses that you can look at when you uh, when you when you try to study this complex subject of waters water availability and the, the the water scarcity. And we look at it in in the in the connection between security and water scarcity. And so that that is that has informed our our, our study. From the first time we went and our, our first publication uh, back National Defense University Press was this book, The Euphrates Triangle, in which we try to look at the relationship between Turkey, Syria, and Iraq related to water. So the geography you should know that the uh, the, the Euphrates Tigris rays in Turkey and flow through Syria and into Iraq. Iraq is at the bottom of the pipeline. That's why much of our focus is on Iraq because Iraq in some ways is in the most vulnerable position from water scarcity in the basin. Uh, so so the, 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 the first publication was that Euphrates Triangle. We later went on to another publication, US European Command um, provided some resources for us in 03 and 04 to, to produce another study on the, on the book. Again, European Command interested in the, 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 the possibilities of conflict. Uh, to what extent can water scarcity drive international conflict? And that's what one of the issues we looked at in our second publication. Uh, and the, uh, we then, uh, 10 years ago, uh, Marine Corps University Press uh, finished our first uh, book, which was an opportunity, I think, for Ed and I to go back and really take a big picture look at the issue of water scarcity uh, in the basin. Uh, and it was, so at that time I was teaching a course called Water and Security in the Middle East. So, so for me, this idea of water security and water, uh, water, water shortages and how, what does it mean in the real world? This has been a part of our, our study. So an opportunity to put this book uh, 10 years ago was great. And then we were contacted by Marine Corps University Press again, maybe a year ago, uh, and asked, can we do an update? So we were pleased to be able to produce uh, the new version, which has just been released, uh, Strategic Water uh, Expanded Edition, which was just off the press, and we'll uh, be talking about that today. So I think that's that's a summary. I'd like Ed, since he is, we've always sort of divided the work with Ed's political military background. We've sort of divided the work on the more strategic international relations aspects, uh, and uh, and so Ed, maybe you can talk about about that that issue today. Yeah, the um, 1999 and 2003-2004, Iraq becomes occupied by the United States. 2014 and 2023, Syria falls apart and ISIS comes along in Syria. So, so these things have a shelf life. <laughs> uh, and and it, 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 it makes being current with, with the situation is fluid and, and, and everything changes in a blink of an eye. Um, so so let, me, let me back up from that. What's been the constant is the upstream riparian, Turkey. Why is Turkey so important in the calculus of what's happening? Uh, and and if, if you're a New York Times reader or subscriber, back in July uh, in 2023, Alyssa Rubin had a wonderful article full of, full of very dramatic photographs. The article is called Water Crisis and the Cradle of Civilization. So the things that, that, that Rick and I were, were talking about in 1999, this mass immigration of people 
have been ongoing for some time, but it is really crystallizing this year in Southern Iraq when they're out of water, not just the river, but the aquifers. And, and so, so the, the inhabitants of the area down around, a lot of you have served down there, I know, different places in Iraq, Basra, for example, people are moving out. They, they, they can't support themselves. So back to Turkey. Um, why, why, what's happening with Turkey? What's the constant? This greater southeastern Anatolia project called the Gap. Uh, the bulk of the watershed of the Euphrates-Tigris basin is inside Turkey. And they've invested in, in, a, in a transgenerational public works program to, to change the landscape in, in southeastern Turkey to make it better for people. So they, they built 22 dams, 19 of which produce hydroelectric power. This is like the Tennessee Valley Authority. Uh, the, the 22 dams irrigate the Haran Plain uh, and, and 4 million hectares, something like that, of, of farmland. So, so this is like Yuma, Arizona, and the Central Valley in, in California that get water from the Colorado River. So, so imagine, if you will, that there is an insurgent group in the Colorado Basin occupying sanctuaries in Mexico, and, and a NATO ally like England is supporting those insurgent groups with weapons and training and money. That's the juxtaposed American analogy, if you will, of what's happening with the Turks. The Turks can't let this go. The Turks, the, the Turks can't let Kurdish elements detach this, this huge investment in Turkey's future from the rest of the country any more than, than, than we could detach the Colorado Basin from America or the Columbia Basin or give away the Tennessee Valley Authority to somebody. This, this is, this, this is a, a strategic imperative for Turkey. What happens next? Well, the water flows through Syria and, and northern Iraq and the southern Iraq. The problem is, since, since, since this came out, is the Kurds. Not that the Kurds are a problem, but in terms of, of the geostrategic situation, we now have in northern Iraq, a Kurdish federate. The, the uh, uh, two, two families, uh, tar the, the Talibanas and the Barzanis, formed the federate back in 04. And, and the water flows through what's now Kurdish land. And, and they are intransigent in who owns the natural resources. Uh, there's been a problem with oil uh, already. There will be a problem with water. In Syria, uh, the northeastern part of the country, the entire eastern bank, the left bank of the river, is, is, is in, in the hands of either Turks in the north or, or Kurds and, and free Syrian forces coming down past uh, uh, some, some of the, the cities along, along the Euphrates. So, so the geostrategic situation is incredibly complicated. When we started this, there were three strong nation states in 1999, Iraq, Turkey, and Syria. Now, there's one strong nation state. Iraq itself is, is arguably unstable and, and, and a confusing array of, of political parties. Syria is in the middle of the civil war that's been going on since 2014. 
and and two Kurdish groups have sprung up in the meantime that are are quasi independent in Iraq and in Syria, fully independent and and dependent on uh, United States weapons trainers and support. There's something like 800, 900 Americans currently serving in Syria today. They've been targeted in the last uh, month or so by, uh, by Iranian-supported militias. So, so what, was, what, what was a stable geopolitical situation in 1999 that is degraded now into something that's, that's awesomely complex uh, and, and hard for people like Rick and I to, to make sense of it in, 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 in terms of recommendations or a path forward? That's it. Sure, sure. Well, thanks. So, so the uh, the nature of our of our book. I hope you have the opportunity to uh, to get copies. Copies are are out there, and they go into greater detail. But the uh, we come up with some with some uh, not so much recommendations, but observations and analysis of what can be done. Uh, and uh, and we uh, the, the the two the expanded chapters. We had an opportunity to to uh, to develop, and one is in uh, uh, the uh, we, we're taking a close look at exactly what is the the water deficit. There's a lot of statistics out there, and uh, situation is bleak, particularly for Iraq. And again, uh, the water flows from Turkey through Syria to Iraq for the most part. A certain there's a certain input from Iran, which which uh, we uh, is is also now under pressure. Uh, there's there's general water scarcity in the region, series of droughts impacted by climate change. There's a lot of data coming in on climate change. Precisely where that will go, we're not certain, but it's 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 bound to be uh, negative, negative for the region as climate change and uh, series of droughts impact the region. And so we've got quite a bit of data uh, that that is that collected. And in short, there is, I think we were reluctant to use the term when we did this 10 years ago, we were reluctant to turn, we were more saying the, uh, the predicted crisis. Well, I think we're now agreement, we're in a crisis mode. Things are so difficult now, particularly for Iraq, that water scarcity is seriously making uh, an impact on everything. The, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, predictions that there would be a classic shooting war over water. And I think most of the analysts who look back uh, on a historical basis, they don't say, well, will Turkey, Syria, and Iraq go to war over water? There's, there's, it's unlike, for, first of all, from a military standpoint, Iraq and Syria are, are not able to, to, to initiate an armed conflict in Turkey to get water. It's not, they don't have the military capacity and there's no clear way. Uh, you don't bomb the Atatürk, Atatürk Dam to release more water. There's no direct connection between military, uh, be, between the water scarcity and the initiation of an armed conflict. And I think what we've concluded and most analysts have concluded that that water is becoming an increasingly important driving factor in instability. It's driving so many things, negative things in the region. Uh, and, and you won't find an, a, a single point where water scarcity initiates an armed conflict. But the 
the consequences in terms of uh, a mass movement of people. Uh, instability is all being driven by, by water shortage. And we've got quite a bit of statistics in the book that we can point to on that. Um, the uh, one, one, one part of the book that I was able to, to spend time on, I, I taught a, at the end of my time at the University of Washington, I was teaching a course uh, called Data Science and Diplomacy. And, and it's uh, uh, the, 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 the explosion of, of data and science, which takes a look at water, is, is it's changed on a vast scale in the last 10 years. The interesting question is, now that we have more data that shows we have, we have satellite imagery, we have modeling, we have AI that can contribute to, to, to looking at water, we can even see groundwater from technological means from above. So the, we've had vast improvements in the technological capacity to, to understand the water, but that has not resulted in a improvement in the actions on the ground. And that's, that's the, 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 the challenge here is how, how can this, all, the, all the science, all the engineering that we have, how can we use that to make improvements on the ground? One problem I think we've identified is that, that the, the developers, the engineers are oftentimes working in their own realms and uh, to use one term, explainability, they found it difficult to put the data in, in an understandable method that the users, who are the users? Well, the users would be the managers, the diplomats who are involved in these transboundary water issues. They've found it difficult to put it in a form that they can use and understand. And further, the diplomats and the managers are unable to describe exactly what they need and exactly what they want. I was fortunate to have uh, the assistance of a gentleman, uh, Aaron Salzberg. He was the lead diplomat for the United States and water-related issues for, for many years. Uh, he, some of the things that he said, um, which helped inform my teaching and my writing was, he would, he would say quite often, it's not about water. Everyone would stop. <laughs> it's about trust and it's about governance. And Iraq faces so many challenges in governance, its ability to control its water, complicated by the fact that now the Kurds have a significant piece of that. So the, the, the complications for, for, the, uh, for, for Iraq in particular are, are, just, are just vast. And the, 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 the challenges of the data, how do we make data usable? Who is the curator of the data? Who will trust the data? Uh, will, the, will, will Turkey trust the data that, uh, that we have now that shows that the water leaving, there's a steady decrease in water flowing south. Will Turkey trust that data to show that they are putting the countries at the downstream at a, at a major risk. Um, and so this idea of data, how do you explain it? How do you build trust in the region over the data? That's one of the fascinating pieces. And we, we make some comments and observations in there. One of the things we made this comment 10 years ago, what about the creation of a technical center modeled after one called Isimad in Nepal? If you could bring together 
the experts on climate change, water scarcity, water flow, and build a technical center. Well, Turkey might be willing to run that. We even suggested that uh, Orfa be the, be the basis mm -hmm. for that. Uh, so 10 years ago, we made a recommendation that one way to advance this would be to create a technical center, share data where the parties could gather uh, to, to try to understand the impact of water scarcity. Strangely enough, they haven't started to build that yet. Now, in, in our new book, we have the same recommendation to make, to make, but to have the ECBOD. We even have a, we even have, you know, Ed and I both come from military background. We have a structure of a, a, a we have a, a flow chart on how this ECBOD could be built. Perhaps someone in the region will pick up our new book and say, ah, a technical center in Urfa to help deal with this. One of our, one of our recommendations. So, um, so in short, uh, we've come up with some with some some comments. There's a number of things that can be done. That even this so-called track two diplomacy would it be helpful for uh, for the parties to have to get together informally from a academic standpoint to talk about these issues? It, I think it's unlikely that you will have any high-level trilateral discussions on how to deal with this. Turkey is very reluctant to do. Turkey, their position has been, we will make some bilateral discussions, but the idea of a trilateral agency, such as something you might have on the Nile or the Mekong of the parties, of, with any discussion at all, it's unlikely. Now, I'm a, uh, Yes, I claim to be an international lawyer. I've been doing that now for a long time, taught international law for years. Does law provide any solutions here? No. <laughs> Clear. <laughs> I mean, I could explain it in, uh, yeah, I have a whole chapter on this, the law. The, the international law is not really providing any significant relief and it will not provide any significant relief to the downstream parties here. There is a structure, there's some international law respecting water, but as a practical matter, it's not going to benefit, it's not going to benefit Iraq and the downstream parties, and Turkey's not a party to the international conventions relating to international water. So it's a, if you, I have a whole chapter on that for those who want the, who want to want the legal issues related related to this, but um, so so we do make some specific comments of, of coordination uh, uh, that that can be improved. Uh, we're, we're, we have a book release today uh, up in D.C. where we have a number of federal agencies. The U.S. Geological Survey is doing a lot. Uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has done a lot. I guess the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers essentially. Those any of you who might have served in Iraq might in the vicinity of Mosul and the Mosul Dam, which was seriously threatened here. So the U.S. assistance that we've been able to provide at various levels to Iraq has made has made a difference. Has it? Has, are there any solutions here? Perhaps not, but there would be. We we, we believe that there's some things that can be done in the way of providing assistance in the, in the management uh, of, of Iraq's water resources in helping to build, at least at the operational level, 
in Iraq to help provide some, some sources. There's a, uh, there's a new, Iraq has a strategic land and water resources plan. Uh, in, in the book, we've got a copy of that. 10 years ago, uh, the Iraq was in their own plan that said, unless the following things are done, Iraq will be in a serious crisis mode. None of those things have been done. <laughs> so by their own planning, their own strategic land and water resources issue, they are in difficult shape. There's a new, there's a plan to revamp that, that plan, to have another plan. Uh, as you can expect, strategic planning without the follow through on the ground is, uh, is a serious issue. So that's really all I had to say. I encourage you, if you have an opportunity to read this, uh, take a look at the book in greater detail. Uh, and so I'm gonna leave the last few minutes to Ed to talk about uh, uh, some other issues he, uh, related. Thank Go you. Ahead. Yeah, um, there are always three choices. Things get better, things stay the same, or things get worse. It never changes. That, 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 those are the three, the immutable three choices in life. It's getting worse in Iraq. It was predictable. Uh, there's a lot going on in Iraq today, and, and we shouldn't leave this thinking, well, not much is going on, because the United States has made uh, the Corps of Engineers, uh, uh, there are a lot of, of, of agencies from the federal government, they're now working on this. Uh, the UN has a substantial presence working on this problem. There are a bunch of NGOs, um, some, 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 some green NGOs on, on, on not just water for Iraq, but, but clean water and green water. <laughs> so so, so there, there are overlapping and, and parallel structures working. The problem is, as, as you probably already know, is, is it's, it's decentralized and there's no structure that coordinates it. So, so there's an enormous amount of, of, of overlap, underlap, and duplication that, that's, that's currently going on. The bulk of, of the federal funding that we give Iraq goes to the, the Kurdish areas from Tikrit to the north. That's where our efforts are focused for a lot of geopolitical reasons. Um, and, and, and the NGOs and the UN focusing on the Shia south, Basra, and south from Kut el Amara. So, so that's going on. A, a topic that comes up, and Rick mentioned the water war thing. Uh, we looked at that in 1999. Uh, we discounted it because it, it, it fell off the table because it was never going to happen. But, but the, the question that comes up often is, can Turkey turn off the water? The answer is no, they can't because they've got hydro, 19 hydroelectric plants that provide electricity for southeastern Turkey. They've got this massive irrigation thing. Uh, Turkey's one of about 10 countries in the world that exports food. Uh, most countries don't. Most countries import food. This is a major export commodity in the Turkish economy. A lot of that food is now grown in southeastern Anatolia. So, so they've got to irrigate it. And the downs, it, goes, it washes off and goes back into the river. So, so yeah, the Turks could probably turn off the water, but... but Practically speaking, that, that has a, a negative effect on their economy and the social equity issues that exist in Southeast Anatolia. So, so the answer is theoretically, but not practically. They, they can't turn off the water. Um, it, I'm not presenting an, an, an anti-Kurdish 
view in, in this book, although it may seem it, because so much of the American federal government experience uh, since Operation Provide Comfort in 1991 has been very, very pro-Kurdish. Uh, and and, and we, have, we have now two generations of American civil servants and American military officers who have had direct interaction and, and support uh, to, to Kurdish elements both in Iraq and, and in Syria. So the federal government kind of leans Kurdish. Uh, it, it's hurt our relationship with Turkey dramatically. Uh, and and, and the, the relationship and, and the expert here at the university is a fellow named Sinan Jidi uh, over at the Command and Staff College. He, he's a prolific author on, on examining the relationship and what's happening between the United States and Turkey. Uh, we were a very strong ally and partner of Turkey up until the turn of the century, uh, and, and it's degraded ever since. Part of the reason is our support for the Kurds, uh, our support for the Greeks and Cyprus. There are just a lot of pieces and, and parts to this. Uh, the, the Turks are active participants in, in regional stability. They, they want stability. Uh, how they get there is, is problematic. Um, it's a, it's a, uh, and it, it's, 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 we, we thought up, up until October 7th that, that, that Turkey and Israel were, were, were coming together and, and, and that would help stabilize the region because then, then the Saudis get, and the Egyptians have better relations with the Turks. But, but now that everything is upside down because of what Hamas has done in, in Gaza. Uh, so, so I, I've given up predicting. I, I, you know, I, I used to do a lot of predictions years ago. Um, most of the time, I'm wrong because because things happen that are unanticipated. The the uh, Malcolm Gladwell calls these black swans. Uh, you in in McPeepy, the, the military planning process, the Marine Corps planning process, you. When your assumptions fail, <laughs> the plan fails. Uh, assumptions and black swans are very similar. People think things are going to happen, and, and then they don't. Uh, I, I would, I would kind of end my discussion with, with we, we, we wrote recommendations in, 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 in our in our previous work, and, and as Rick has alluded to, uh, nobody's listened, and and and, and you reach a point in your life where where you realize that that. Advice that's not asked for is, is frequently ignored or rejected. So, so we changed we changed the plan when we wrote this book. And, and, and this book, at the end, we don't have recommendations. Um, what, what we have using using the Marine Corps planning process as, as a template is, is 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 to look at the security planning going on in in the basin. If you were a security planner, you would look at assumptions first. And, and, and so we, we've got a list of us, what we think would be the assumptions if you entered a planning scenario. Uh, we, we've then looked at, at the approaches. How would you approach solving some of these issues if you were a planner? So, so what we tried to do is, is to tailor the book. The title is Iraq and Security Planning. And, and this book, the new one, the 2023 volume, gets more into how a planner might approach the problem if if you were tasked with with coming up with courses of action for your commander. Um, I I, I um, 
Lastly, the, the, the Marine Corps University Press. Uh, Angela Anderson is the editor over there. Uh, they've done a magnificent job. I've published a number of books. This is, is one of the best edited. Um, you can't find a mistake in this book. When I publish a book, I, I, I get the box of books in, I open it up, and honest to God, the first thing I, 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 I open up, the random page, and, and there's, there's a typo. It happens over and over and over. Any, anybody who publishes will tell you this is a common experience. You can't find a typo in this book. This is the most thorough and well-put-together product, and it's not just strategic water. I've done a book on Cyprus with them, the preceding uh, strategic water book. Um, they're pros, and, and, and if any of you are interested in publishing, e either, either with, with the Marine Corps University Press uh, or, 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 or JAMS uh, or Middle Eastern Studies, uh, this, this, these are pros, and, and I can't uh, recommend their work highly enough. Uh, I, think, I think that's about it that I have on my list. I think so. So we have we have some time left for uh, for questions. Yes, sir. So one of the things uh, you both had mentioned the Army Corps of Engineers and talking about data and statistics. You know, and the, the thing that always pops in my head is there's lies, damn lies, and statistics. And you can make data say kind of whatever you want, depending on how you want to you know visualize it or show it. And you mentioned you know the expectations. Um, you know, there's a black box with a lot of these predictive models. You're not sure what goes in and how it comes out, uh, and that mistrust in folks uh, looking at that data. But I wanted to ask about uh, in the book you talk about uh, short-term and long-term goals and how they uh, are different. You know, one of the things you pointed out was you know the short-term goals they're good for getting elected, but not necessarily good for um, the long-term uh, stability of water. The thing that comes to mind for me is the Los Angeles and the LA River. So in the early 1900s, as Los Angeles built up, the LA River uh, would flood in the winter. And as it got more urban, uh, it caused a lot of damage, a lot of deaths. So the Army Corps of Engineers came in in the late 30s and concreted in the LA River where it flows through the urban area. And uh, as a result, the water stopped flowing basically in Los Angeles. And by the 1950s, there's actually articles written about, you know, the 1950s, uh, there, there was only about nine months worth of water, uh, or there was no water for nine months of the year in the LA River. But I wonder if you could touch on kind of the, the long-term and short-term and how some of your COAs at the end uh, touched on that a little bit. Sure, I, so, so I think in my view, the science is getting better. Uh, the science in terms of what should be done and what needs to be done. And some of the decisions that were made 30 or 50 years ago, the dam building in the U.S. In fact, uh, Turkey sometimes responds when we're lecturing them about their dams that may make excessive, that may make excessive reductions in flow downstream. They said, well, who, who, who's America to, to lecture us about that? I mean, basically, we uh, we went through the, the the hydrological imperatives phase in the 30s and 40s and overbuilt and many and now that was if you look back those decisions today we made some bad decisions and in fact there's a few places in the U.S. where they're removing dams my own home state of Washington State for some so there was some bad decisions made I think 
I think the science is better now, and the, the I think it's more of a problem in terms of persuading the end users to accept the science. In some cases, I know there was a case in Iraq where a detailed survey, uh, uh, the 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 uh, how does Iraq better manage its water resources? Answer: Don't build any more dams. Line your canals. There's a loss there. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in many cases, a country like Iraq that is being driven by forces other than purely scientific, they want to build more dams. <laughs> and in some cases, they, they may refuse to accept some of the, uh, the, the, the recommendations of the scientific recommendations about water efficiency. Uh, but, but Iraq is facing so many problems. It's not just a refusal to accept some of the scientific outcomes about efficient use. It's also the, the, the massive security problems. Corruption is an issue. Decision-making is an issue. Governance is an issue. So Iraq is facing so many issues that go to, that go to governance. But I think, I think, the, uh, I think the science and the, the data is getting better. It needs to be explained better. But the, the conclusions about what Iraq needs to do and what needs to be done, water resources management, I mean, those, those are pretty straightforward for the long term, I think, as that's my understanding. Uh, I would also add that, that the long term macro level approaches require stable nation states. Mm -hmm. They require Iraq, Syria, and Turkey uh, to be stable nation states, and they're not right now. Turkey is, uh, whether we like Erdogan or not, Turkey's a very stable nation state. But but you can't have one actor out of out of three. So so the long term approaches, the 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 grand bargain approaches, if you will, uh, that require interstate cooperation, cannot be done right now. We 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 can we we, we can project into the future. They're nice to haves, but but they're not around the corner anytime soon. What can be done in the near term? Are localized, uh, 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 small, mic not micro. Micro level is, is, is too 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 refined, too small a term. But there's a lot of bilateral things. The Corps of Engineers are, are doing bilateral operations with the Iraqi Ministry of Water. So so to my view, the the immediate future and is 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 the small scale, uh, incremental. We we if we have to pick and choose. Uh, between incremental, small-scale things, we, we we would choose the ones that, that that would do the most good for the most amount of you know th those kind of decisions. But but the long-term solutions right right now, I can't even imagine a timeline for for stabilizing those, those, those Syria and Iraq at this time. Presumably, Iraq will become stable or stable sooner than Syria. But who knows when and how Syria will if it'll emerge as a nation state. Or it won't be partitioned into something something other than that. So so that's and 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 that's kind of where we are in this book. The incremental small things that are done by by agencies and, and bilateral agreements versus the, the grand bargain that require cooperation of nation states. So I was um, geographically and politically speaking, is the Euphrates Tigris Basin so unique? That there aren't lessons that we can apply to other locations. 
in the book, you briefly mentioned the Nile. There's 11 countries that you know are part of that Nile basin. Only three of them, Egypt, Sudan, and South Sudan, really get the majority of their water from the Nile. Um, but you know, you also briefly mentioned the Mekong, which you brought, talk about in the book, and you also mentioned uh, here. And then you, know, you very briefly touch on, hey, there's you know cooperation between Canada and the United States as well, between the waters that flow from Canada down into the United States. So are there any lessons that we can learn here that might be able to apply elsewhere, or is it so that we can't really take a lot away. Well, I think every basin is unique and we used examples from other basins to see what, um, what might apply here. Uh, and uh, uh, I'm not sure there's too many lessons from the Euphrates Tigris that could be applied outside it. I'm not sure there's many, uh, but, but going, try, trying to, we, we focused on, on, the, on this basin and, and uh, Take a look. So, so the the reason we brought the Nile, that there's a particular uh, technical modeling capacity for the Nile, happened to be developed at the University of Washington called Nebras, which is a a water management tool that has been developed. So there are some tools that have been developed. The Mekong uh, Basin, which is with China as the upstream riparian presents its own unique unique situation and there's a there's a uh, there's a uh, there's a development model and there's a, a technical model which is being used to try to solve uh, to try to deal with those problems so in in the book we try to draw some comparisons with with other basins and this basin uh, and there are some uh, there are some valid comparisons or lessons that can be taken from the other basin in terms of trust, China is 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 not an active participant in the management of the Mekong Basin because it controls the bulk of the water and because it's distrustful of what's happening downstream and the data downstream. So I think it's useful for someone who's trying to look at at, at basin management to look outside outside a basin and see what lessons uh, that can that can apply. The um... Years ago, we, we looked at the Nile and the, and the Mekong River because they were fairly stable and, and, and they had trilateral and multilateral commissions that, that it seemed to work. Um, as we've come into the 21st century, Ethiopia has built the Grand Renaissance Dam and, and all of a sudden there's controversy between the riparians on who owns the Nile River. Uh, China is building dams upstream in the Mekong and are consequences for the downstream riparian. So, so this is one of those cases where it's it's okay until it's not. Uh, and, and and the unifying thing for for all the basins is 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 it's okay until it's not because the downstream riparians are increasingly water stressed. Not not just Iraq, but Egypt. Uh, not just not just Iraq, but but South Vietnam and Cambodia. So so those downstream riparians uh, and, and 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 again get better, stay the same, or get worse, it's getting worse for those countries. There's a unitary, there's a unifying uh, core concept in all the basins, I, I think. That, and, and the lessons um, are, are yet to be learned. I, I, I don't think that the lessons from the past, uh, they're failing. So I, I think what, what has to emerge in the, in the future are, are new lessons. 
be because what what's happening right now is the failure of architecture, the failure of processes. And, and you know the I think we learned that that uh, integrated water resources management only works when you've got a single authority, which is which is overlooking the the, uh, the the basin. And of course, we know we know how complex this has gotten. So, water resources management has gotten extraordinarily different. Not only because the boundaries were drawn irrespective of the, we have some history here in the book on that. The boundaries were drawn irrespective of the, the basin management. And now as the boundaries and as the politics get more difficult, management and governance is even more difficult. And that, I think that kind of flows really well into Albert's question from the chat. It goes back to uh, relationships. But he says, uh, aren't the Barzani's and Kurdistan regional government working fairly closely with Turkey? Uh, on the latter's attacks on the Syrian Democratic Forces, Kurdish Democratic Union, how has that adversarial but not quite relationship affected water access? Yeah, one of the surprising things in the late 1990s was the the, the Talibana uh, family and the Barzani family put put down their weapons and stopped the 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 Kurdish civil war that was happening. They asked the Turks to mediate, uh, and the Turks not only mediated. Agreement between the two families, uh, but 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 sent in observers who are there to this day. Uh, and as the 21st century rolls around, Tur Turkey and the 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 the, Feder the, 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 uh, the KRG, the Kurdistan Regional Government, the Federate of Kurdistan, in, in, enjoy very good relations. Part of that is that that the PKK, the insurgent Kurdish group from Turkey. A sanctuary in, in Iraq, and they are not friends with the Barzanis or the Talibanis. Uh, so, so the view in, in the Kurdistan Federate is, is that the PKK is destabilizing, not for Turkey, not only for Turkey, but also for, for the Kurds in, in northern Iraq. So, so this, 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 has, this, this has, has, has conjoined the, the, the Kurds, which, which is a surprising outcome. Uh, but they 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 do enjoy uh, healthy economic relations. Uh, they, they enjoy healthy political rec uh, uh, relations, and, and it's a surprising thing. The uh, the Kurds in northern Iraq have distanced themselves from the Kurds in Syria. Uh, the Kurds are, are 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 not a a contiguous cultural linguistic entity. They're tribal. So, so the Kurds in Turkey are different than the Kurds in northern Iraq are different from the Kurds in Syria. Uh, and and, and the, 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 the Kurdistan regional government views the Kurdish uh, effort, the, 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 the independent Kurdish movement in, in Syria as dangerous to regional stability. I, I'm guessing here, and I, I'm going to throw an a opinion out. I think the Kurdistan regional government would rather have a, a, a strong, stable, stable Syria under any kind of government rather than, than have the unstable Kurdish problem that's existing in northeastern Syria today. But that's just an opinion. I'm, I'm frequently wrong. And, and how does that affect the water situation, the, the, the cooperation or lack of cooperation within the entities you mentioned? Yeah. Uh, to, to, the Kurdistan regional government is a very sophisticated, uh, technically savvy government in, in, in the region. They, they manage water pretty well. They've, they've got 
governmental architecture and, and expertise uh, that, that, that manage the water flowing through their area and from their area pretty well. Um, the Kurds in northern Syria are, are a, 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 a very young organization in, in, in trying to put together a government. They, they have no funding other than what we have. They have no economy. They have no technical expertise in the in the, the the government architecture, which which is kind of it's it's like comparing America after we write the Constitution to the America of, of before the Constitution. You know, thirteen colonies without without a central government. They, they they don't have that. So so there's there's no water management to speak of today in Syria whatsoever, because the Kurds are on one side of the river. Uh, they, they control the major dams and then the, the governmental forces under, uh, under, under the, the government are on the other side. So, so it's, it's, a, it's point to point right now in Syria on water management. And one of the things that, especially in chapter five, you talk about water information as a state secret. Uh, and you touch a lot on, you know, Turkey treats their information about water as a state secret. You know, how much more difficult is that making things in the region? And are there other countries that kind of treat water information in the same way as Turkey does? I, I think so, to varying degrees. Turkey, Turkey is um, uh, certainly considers that as a state secret, and that's being overcome to a great extent by the availability of more satellite data, more modeling data. Uh, the Army Corps of Engineers Hydrologic Engineering Center. So there's a lot of data out there uh, that can that can uh, uh, that 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 makes the fact that the fact that Turkey is not releasing the data now, I suppose, in some ways, is less important because the data is available. The, the, the difficulty again is how do you make that data available in the region? How do you get people to trust it? And how do you get them to, to take action based on it? And that is that is that's the difficulty. The challenge is explainability and usefulness and governance, um, uh, and uh, in dealing with with Turkey's use. That's why the, 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 one of the one of the, the observations, one of the ideas we had was creating a uh, a technical center in Turkey that could provide a central place where that data can be pooled and made available to the extent that they permit it, even to a closed group of people. Uh, that's one of the challenges. It, it, it's a cultural meme in Turkey to, to guard what you know and not to release it. Anybody who's, who's conducted business in Turkey or mill-to-mill -mill contacts with Turkey or diplomacy with the Turks, uh, they, they, they are notoriously difficult to work with um, because they don't share information. Uh, military information is, is notoriously restricted. You, you can go online today and you can find out which, which, which brigades of the 82nd Airborne Division uh, from Fort Liberty uh, are, are deployed and which ones are home. Uh, you can find it online, open source stuff. You, you can't go online and, and find out where, where, where the 6th Armor Brigade of the Turkish Army is stationed. Uh, it's very restrictive, and 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 this is this is it's, it's who they are. Uh, anybody that, that works with the Turks understands this, and and, and uh, you try to work around it. 
Uh, water data is, is, and you have to ask why. Why, why would water data be, be withheld? And it's, it's for no particular reason other than, than uh, it's, 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 it's the way they are. It's a, it's, it's a process-oriented society. The United States, Americans, are, are, are cut through the red tape, get the job done. Our orientation is on results. Turkish orientation as a culture. I hope I don't offend any Turks who are out there. They're process oriented. If, if, if you get if you get a license in Turkey or, or, or your dog registered in Turkey or you want to have a cable TV installed in your house, you've got to go down to the there are forms and guys that stamp the forms with, with the, the famous <laughs> you know, the, uh, approval. Uh, and, 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 and it's a power relationship that, that it goes back to the Ottoman Empire. It continues in Turkey. It continues in places like Iraq. The Turks are not unique in the region. This way, but, but this is a society that that withholds not just information but authority to do something. Uh, uh, the process is more important than the result, and, and that, that's at the end of the day what what characterizes their society and makes it different from what we do. It affects water management. It, it affects everything they they do. In my trips to Turkey. Uh, I was surprised talking to water managers to what extent it's such a nationalistic view that Turkey's entitled to manage its water resources as see fit. I think I was, we quoted a member of parliament some years ago who said that, who said on the parliament floor that, uh, that Allah gave uh, the, uh, the Arabs the oil, and Allah gave Turkey the water, and each should be able to use it as they see fit. But it, but, uh, uh, that's 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 certainly a, a a fascinating aspect of this, this the cultural and historical views of Turkey towards its water. The, uh, the state secret bit maybe you know, write down and laugh at the the constant joke. What do I know? Who needs to know it? And how good will I feel when they get in trouble for not knowing it? Sure. Um, <laughs> from the chat, we're kind of closing in on the end of our hour here. But uh, one of the countries that we haven't talked about is Iraq's neighbor, Iran. So a question from the chat is, uh, how has uh, Iranian water flow that goes into the Tigris-Euphrates, uh, how has that uh, affected that relationship and their and Iran's effects within Iraq as well? Yeah, good question. And we do devote uh, a part, the, the part of the chapter on water scarcity is devoted to that. So I, I think you can measure a, uh, the, the, so the, the, the input to the Euphrates is, uh, is, is zero from Iraq, but the input to the Tigris is a, a significant part from Iraq. And, and, and uh, Iran is facing its own water shortages. And there's been various claims and disputes between the Iraqi government and Iran uh, at, uh, in, in terms of that flow. So it is a factor. It'll probably become an increasing factor. I think it's something like Fifteen to twenty percent of the flow of the flow for, comes through the the mountains of Iran that flow into the into the Tigris, and so there are. It is a factor. I think it'll probably become an increasing factor as as uh, as the, the the region is gripped more by climate change and resource constraint. Yeah, the um, the mountain chain between Iraq uh, and 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 Iran, the 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 water that the Iranians own is on the western side of the mountains, so it's difficult to get it 
into the, into the areas of Iraq or the areas of Iran that, that, that need the water. Uh, a substantial amount of their water that comes in into the Tigris comes in at the Shat El Aram, uh, in the very southernmost reaches of, of the river. And 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 again, it, it's not where the Iranians need the water. Uh, so, how much of a factor will this be in the near term? Probably not much, but but in the next 50, 60 years, uh, when the Iranians get around to building a dam here or there, it's going to be more of an issue. And so, gentlemen, before I throw it over uh, back to you for closing comments, I'm going to uh, throw this question out there to kind of feed into those closing comments. So uh, it seems that the reality that we predicted in the 2014 uh, version of the book uh, is a lot worse than what, so the prediction was better than the reality. So when we get the enhanced expanded edition in 2032, should we expect it to be more of the same or, or be worse? So we'll, we'll roll that in with your, with, your, with your closing comments as well. I think we try to deal with a little bit of that in the last chapter of the book. Best case scenario, worst case scenario, more probable scenario. We, we, we try to deal with that. I guess I try to end things with my classes on somewhat of an optimistic note. It's about what can be done. And I think there's things, I'm, I'm hopeful at this book informs the, the discussion of this and at least lays out a few positive things that can be done to improve the situation. I've given up predictions. Uh, I, 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 uh, I predicted that the Russians would take the Ukraine in, in three days. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I, I've just given up totally on predictions. I'm hopeful. Um, the, the, the problem is, is recognized in, the, in those countries. They, they know they've got the problem. At some point, you got to deal with the problem. So like Rick, I'm hopeful that, that, that things will, in, in 10, 20 years, start, start to solidify to, before it's not, I don't know if there's a, if there's a point where it's too late. I'm not sure that, I don't know enough about the data like Rick does that, that there's a tipping point beyond which you know it's hopeless but but I, I I I'm hopeful that before we if there is such a point when we reach that point uh, that, that, that there is a future and they want to they, they they recognize the problem and at some point they're going to have to react to it and I hope that comes sooner than later yeah and I'm hopeful if they ask us for another edition in 10 years Me when too. I'm 87 that okay. uh, that I'm able to do it <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll be on. I'll be on the lookout for the enhanced expanded edition in, in twenty nine years from now. So yeah, it should be good. Uh, gentlemen, do you have anything else that you'd like to, to pass before we, we close out for the day? Uh, just just the, the the title, strategic water. It, it is a strategic commodity. Water is strategic, and and if you look at the the United States national security. Um, Policy documents. You you will see water embedded in that, both 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 in in, in both as, as a as a resource to to be managed and as 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 an extension of American foreign policy to help other nations. So it is a strategic resource. Sure. So, gentlemen, thank you uh, both for coming and providing your your insight uh, and, and the book. And for those uh, on that. 
in the chat and, and listening, we do have uh, many copies of the book here at the Krulak Center. So if you're local, you can come by and pick it up. There's also a downloadable PDF from the MCU Press's website that I've been linking in all of our social media posts as well. Uh, and then you can get uh, physical copies uh, sent to you by contacting uh, MCU Press as well. So there's multiple ways uh, to get copies of the book based on, on how you want to review it. So again, thank you for your time and your insight. Uh, thank you to all the folks that have joined us in the chat and are joining us for the recordings in the future. Uh, and that's all we have for this episode. So go ahead and carry out the plan. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for joining us. As always, we depend on support and feedback from the Team Krulak community to constantly improve our offerings and reach a wider audience. So if you have feedback on this episode, please take a moment to fill out the survey linked in the show notes to help us do better. Also, if you have enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and subscribe to our channel on YouTube or leave us a review on the podcast app of your choice. It truly does help us reach a wider audience. Thank you as always for your support, and we'll see you on the next episode. Education is what's important. Training, preparation for the expected. Education, preparation for the unexpected.